Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. And oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd suffer the effects of atikophobia if you shared with me the fear that you'd miss this week's show. Improve your relationship with failure. We all know we ought to learn from failure, but most of us don't have that healthy relationship with failure. Ashley Good reveals the breakdowns to help us improve the relationship. Her consultancy is Fail Forward. On Tony's Take Two, easy, comfortable donor relationships. We're sponsored by Turn Two Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. It's a pleasure to welcome Ashley Good. She is founder of Fail Forward, the world's first failure consultancy, supporting people and organizations to acknowledge, create, and evolve from failure. A winner of the Harvard Business Review, McKinsey Innovating Innovation Challenge, Fail Forward helps businesses, governments, and nonprofits harness their failures to learn, innovate, and build resilience. The company is at failforward.org and at failforward. Ashley Good, welcome to Nonprofit Radio. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. My pleasure to have you. Thank you. Joining us from uh, Toronto. I am, yes. And you may be able to hear a little baby crying in the background. That's my 10-month-old. Who just oh, woke up from his nap. <laughs> there he is. Absolutely. We are, we are, we're not only family, family friendly, that and anybody can be family friendly. We're family embracing. I'm there it is. So <laughs> if you're if your 10-month-old has to come in with you, I understand. We'll I, we'll we'll still be able to hear you over. No, no problem at all. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so welcome. Welcome from uh, one of our, our northern neighbors. Glad to have you. Thanks for that. You're company bio starts with, in many ways, our relationship with failure either unlocks our full potential or keeps us from ever realizing it. Mm. Please. Uh, I think that's a great place uh, for us to begin. Please explain that. Yeah. um, So I guess where that line came from is how our relationship with failure often is one that is rooted in in fear. Um, at least that's what I hear the most from my clients is they're calling me because they feel like their fear of getting it wrong is the reason that they're not taking the risks they might otherwise desire to. Um, their fear of what might happen, their fear of letting other people down, their fear of being seen as a failure by the folks around them um, holds us back from maybe from doing a lot of the things that... Um, that might help us learn and grow. And on the flip side of that, you know, our healthy relationship with failure is one where we feel uh, we feel safe stepping out of our comfort zone, recognizing that 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 often deep discomfort we experience amidst our failure is um, really the thing that transforms us into the people that we that we might become, you know, reaching that full potential, as it were, uh, is only possible if we're willing to push ourselves to the edge of what we're capable of. Outside our comfort zone. Exactly. Uh, do, do organizations come to you when they're 
in crisis? <laughs> Sometimes. Or, uh, yeah. 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 Um, I, I get a little bit of both. I, I see two uh, equally important sides of my work. There's uh, the learning component. So you're, you've had uh, a failure and often folks are not treating each other very well or they're not uh, communicating very well and they need a little bit of support um, maximizing what they can learn from that event. So there's the learning aspect of the work that I do, trying to maximize what we, what we take away and how do we move forward from our failures more wisely. Um, and then there's what I might call like the risk-taking or the innovation side. How do we create the conditions under which we can, we feel safe taking those risks where we're confident enough to do the things that we might not know how to do yet um, in order to push ourselves to keep up with the pace of change or our competitive pressures or whatever they might be. Mm. I feel like the the combination of your work and, and your thinking, uh, you, you should be, your name should be Ashley Exemplary. I don't know about that. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, because you you want people, you want us to 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 reach our full potential. Absolutely, not just, not just oh. be good. You want us to be you want us to be exemplary. <laughs> that's the way I'm. That's the way I'm hearing in the first few minutes. Anyway, I, I I'm sorry for changing your name. I don't mean to be so uh, brash about you know. Well, and and why I why I hesitate with it is because I mean when I first started this company, I really thought I had something like I'd figured something out that I'm going to help people with right? Like I'm going to help yeah. people have a healthier relationship with failure. And the more that I do this work, it's been, gosh, 11, 12 years now, uh, the more I realize that I actually started it because my own relationship with failure is so troubled. And I probably need this more than anyone else. So um, in asking people to kind of reach their full potential, it came from a place of actually wanting to build a healthier relationship with failure for myself as well. And, and, um, you know, tell myself it's okay to be wrong sometimes. It's okay to to not be perfect all the time. Well, so. all right. I'm still going to stick with Ashley Exemplary, but but I'll tell you, I've been called worse. You know, tell us, oh, I, uh, I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> we won't we won't have to go down that path. But tell tell a little about your your personal your experience with failure. You you are uh, public about that. You're one of the things that you sent me to read in advance says you know you uh, many of us, including myself you know, don't have the, the right, the right healthy relationship with failure, which we'll be getting to, you know, we'll mm -hmm. talk about, but what's a little bit of your own, your own background that I guess that led you to the, you're saying led you to the work. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I could, I could share that story in so many ways. Um, I was inspired to work on this topic when I was working for engineers without borders, um, working in international development, uh, working on an agricultural food chain project many years ago, and saw lots of failures. I was working with incredible colleagues um, who you know, were, were hand-selected by the, the funding agency because they were exceptional. Um, mm. And yet when the, when the donor came in to kind of ask about what was going right and wrong, um, my exceptional colleagues you know, didn't, didn't necessarily share the whole truth didn't lie, but, but didn't talk about the real fundamental challenges that, that they were, that they were sharing. And I remember asking them afterwards, you know, why, why didn't you tell that guy <laughs> what we've been talking about? Like he can actually change it for future projects. And, um, and it's an oversimplification, but it was essentially like, you know, Oh, Ashley, you're so naive. Like there's no way we could do that. 
you know, we, like we like our jobs. We're great at our jobs because we can work around these things. Um, and telling the, we all know telling the donor isn't necessarily the most advisable. Uh, telling the donor that the project was designed that was designed incorrectly is not the most advisable thing for job uh, longevity, shall we say? And um, and I was really struck by that because it, it of course, they were right. Um, but it was my idealistic nature kind of held held tight, and it it frustrated me to no end that we can't have those more honest conversations. Um, a, uh, a, a longtime mentor, Tim Broadhead, um, described it as the dance of deceptions, where um, nonprofits pretend to have the answer and donors pretend to believe them, and we just keep yeah. dancing in this dance of deception. Um, so that was really what sparked my, my passion for changing it. But I'd say on a, on a personal note as well, I... Um, I had I, I was at a very low point coming back from that experience, um, and uh, and I in you know I don't need to describe it for your listeners. We've we've all had ups and downs, especially over the last couple of years. But just in a in a real real pit, um, and was was walking. I had pulled myself together. Was walking down the street and um, and realized that on the outside you know, the, the strangers that were passing me by, they'd never know how, how broken I felt inside. Um, and then, and I just had this aha moment where I realized that just like me, they, they could be suffering and I'd never know, or they could be going through what I was going through or worse, 10 times worse. And I never know. And I had this moment of, um, of just, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, clarity and I, and I, and love for these strangers. I was, I was passing on the street thinking that they could and and probably would feel the suffering that, that I was in as well at some point. Um, And I, and I think that moment made me like a a little wiser, a little more human, a little more empathetic. And, um, and I've really held on to that belief uh, and that moment, because I, I think it helps me remember that those moments of suffering are what transform us and allow us to be more human. Um, and that that's, that those, that the hardest moments that we're in um, make us more human. That's very, that's poignant. Thank you for sharing. Uh, and, you know, the, the empathy, it, it, it makes me think of, Empathy for for the uh, the folks that your engineer colleagues were uh, hiding the truth from. Uh, empathy for donors that we may conceal the truth from, or I'll just come right out and call it lie to about our about our outcomes. But so uh, empathy for those folks and and how how much of a disservice it is and how wrong it is to, to treat them that way, whether it's a, I don't know, uh, it was a foundation or a government entity, whoever your engineering mm-hmm. colleagues were talking to, you know, with billions of dollars of resources potentially, uh, or, you know, even if that wasn't the case, but uh, that could, that, that type of funder could be on one end of the spectrum, or is it a, a, a $50 donor who uh, contributed to a larger program that uh, didn't, yield the outcomes that, that, that we had, we had hoped for maybe mm-hmm. in, in, in any, well, in any kind of setting, Oh, it's healthcare or feeding or whatever. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the disservice we do, um, 
when we're uh, when we're not up front. And you know that I think it's informed by all the talk about transparency and authenticity and honesty over the mm-hmm. past. You no, know, I guess that's probably been five, seven years or so. We're supposed to be donor centric. Well, it started with donor centrism and then honesty and transparency. And um, you know, we want to we want to live the things that that we're uh, aspiring to. Absolutely. And I think we get into these patterns of interacting with each other where we feel we have to show up in a certain way. Um, and I, I see, you know, we think that sharing our failures will show weakness. It will show, sure. you know, it'll show our incompetence. It'll show that we don't, we don't really, you know, have it all together. We're figuring it out as we go along. Um, and I, I fundamentally believe that it, when we share our failures well, as in we take ownership of them, we talk about what we learn, we talk about you know, how we're incorporating that going forward, it shows incredible strength and courage. Um, and I, the example I love to use because it's so universal is, um, is Babe Ruth, you know, famous baseball player who was famous for hitting so many, so many home runs, but he also held the record for the number of strikeouts for like over a decade, you know? And when he was asked about that, he said, um, well, every strike leads me closer to the next home run. Mm. And I think, I mean, we could all, we could all be a little bit more like babe um, as in, you know, he's not denying that he got those strikes. Like, yeah, I struck out, you know, I made the wrong call. Maybe I lost us the game. I swung at the wrong pitch. Um, but I'm going to make sure that that gets me close, that experience gets me or, or us, the team closer to the next home run. And here's how, and that can show incredible strength and courage if we can share our failures in that way. Um, and, and, uh, yeah. And like you said, demonstrate that authenticity and perhaps that it feels incredibly vulnerable. You know, even when we have that story of what the next home run is, it still feels terrifying to share those stories. But, um, but it can, it, it, in that sense that you're still doing it, it shows incredible strength to those listening. I've said many times, uh, and many guests have said too, uh, vulnerability is a sign of strength, not, not weakness. It, mm. It's a sign of confidence, mm-hmm. not, not weakness. Vulnerability, humility. Yeah. One of those things that's so easy to say. And then when you're in the moment, almost impossible to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about the ideal relationship with, with Ooh. failure. We're getting okay. into some of your uh, more the nuts and bolts. Um, okay. You have uh, you have a pretty straightforward cycle. And then, and then we'll talk about why, uh, why we go astray. <laughs> <laughs> we go astray from the ideal. That's that's your practice. The uh, the uh, filling the void between the ideal and the and the reality. Absolutely. So the uh, the ideal is what I refer to as intelligent failure or a healthy relationship with failure. How do we fail well? Basically, um, starts with acknowledging that failure is inevitable. Just uh, you know, expecting it from that perspective, so that we can detect it early, ideally. Um, and then we want, when we detect it, we want to analyze it effectively to maximize our learning. After that, we want to apply that learning. We don't want to let that lessons learned report collect dust on a shelf. How do we apply that to actually change our behaviors, um, do something new or try again, whatever it is. Um, and then how do we let that whole experience, uh, 
inspire us to take, continue to take risks and bold action, knowing that even the things that we try that don't work out, we are able to recognize them, learn from them and apply that learning and move forward more wisely. Um, so that opens up more room to take risks and innovate, which of course leads to more failure, but hopefully different failures the next time around the loop. And you can check out, um, so if you Google intelligent failure, you'll probably see the loop come up on Google. <laughs> you can see the visual there. It's time for a break. Turn to communications. The problem. Because of their local missions, U.S. community foundations are largely ignored by national media. So when the media covers philanthropy and public policy, community foundations are often left out. The turn to approach, media relations, building relationships, you've heard me talk about that before, with national journalists and getting local community foundations, op-eds, and interviews. Also, owned media, creating a website and social media presence to showcase the work of community foundations, and capacity building, ongoing resources and training for communications teams at local community foundations. So the community foundations were not getting attention. Turn to turn that around. You don't have to be a community foundation to have turn to turn around your absence in the media. Turn to communications, turn hyphen to dot co. This applies in all kinds of realms. I mean, I, I, I've seen it applied to software development. Uh, uh, I mean, it certainly uh, applies to, uh, to nonprofit community. It's just, it's sort of universally applied, isn't it? I mean, I think so. I think failure is a universal experience and, yeah, um, right. and we want to react to it in that way. The, and I should say, just to give your listeners the utmost respect, like I know they already know what I just said. You know, everyone already knows how we should respond to failure. We know we should you know, detect it, acknowledge it, analyze it, change our behavior and continue to take those risks. Everyone knows that. Um, and in many ways, we, we think we do it because we know what it is. But the, the reality is that almost none of us, myself included, are able to actually practice um, that intelligent failure consistently uh, yeah. when we're in the midst of it. Uh, the, the great analogy that... Um, my co-author Diana Kander shared with me was it's um, analogous to, to what we do when we fall. Like when we, when we fall down, our instincts are to, you know, to put our arms out, to brace our fall. We tight, you know, tense up and we tend to break wrists and hips and all sorts of other things. Falling is you know, the number one reason why people end up in a hospital. Um, and yet there's a right way to fall. Uh, and there's, there's examples of physiotherapists and, and even this 80 year old man that I read about that like practices falling well every day. And then goes around to like assisted living centers, teaching other generally older people how to fall well. And it's totally different. You, you let your body re relax to kind of absorb more of the shock. You protect, you know, your head or your side with your arms, depending on, on where you're falling and you kind of tuck and roll out of it. Um, but that's not what our instincts are. And most people have never thought about that, right? We, we don't, 
and the same is true with failure. We don't think that our instincts might lead us astray. And, and no one, probably no one's ever told us that our instincts might lead us astray. Um, but in almost all cases, um, our instincts and, and often organizational norms, learned behaviors will cause us not to fail intelligently. Um, and so we need to practice our, our tuck and roll <laughs> out of our failures uh, and, and learn what that is. I just have one correction to make. Uh, they, they are uh, our listeners, our listeners. Thank you. <laughs> so where do we go astray? Um, they're, they're, you call them exit ramps that we can, uh, we avail ourselves of very well, as you're saying, you know, very conveniently, but not, not more than conveniently, instinctively, we mm-hmm. avail ourselves of uh, exiting the, the ideal, that ideal loop of uh, failing intelligently. Oh, you know, it's um, how long's your podcast? Because I feel like this is the whole, like I've been doing this work for 10 years. This is the whole reason I have a job. <laughs> so I could go on four days about this. Well, we have but, an hour. Okay. <laughs> gives us about another 40 minutes. I will, uh, uh, I will try to but be. We don't, uh, but I also would like, uh, we, we need to spend some time on how to reconceive failure, you know, in your organization mm-hmm. so that you're avoiding some of the, Mm, avoiding some of these exit ramps so maybe maybe not every (laughs) not every one of the the exits but you know there's there's some there's like like there's some introspection involved yeah Um, i think there's there's some common ones for sure um so i mean a big one folks uh, we tend to um assume that it's easy to detect failure we just know when it happens but a big challenge that I see is the is the kind of denial or escalating commitment um, biases that we have that prevent us from even detecting that what we're doing is a failure and have us keep doing the things that we probably should stop. Um, you know, that denial comes from a place of uh, either we're not getting the information that we need or asking the right folks for feedback about what's working and what's not, um, or simply confirmation bias. You know, we want to believe that the things we're working on are, are going well. So we look for information that reinforces that. Um, what about and, ETO? Uh, can we talk a little about personal mm, and institutional uh, both on both levels, uh, ego? That's interesting. I, so I'll give you a personal example of this. Um, just before I started my company, Fail Forward, I started a website called Admitting Failure. And it was a place for anyone to share their stories of failure and learning. You know, never again would a mistake be repeated because this website existed, built it as a database. There was going to be thousands, thousands of failure stories shared on this. Got a lot of attention, did a lot of media interviews. And, you know, I I don't know, it's been, whatever, 13 years since then. And there are 32 stories shared on that site. Um, 32 amazing... The world is a much more exemplary place than we realize. (laughs) Certainly than you realize you're... You're just a negative, yeah. na- negative <laughs> asking a people to share of, of humanity. Why? Why are you so harsh on humanity? There's only yeah. there only been 32 failures in 13 years. Exactly. Um, and and on the other side of that, I'm totally amazed that 32 strangers 32. wanted to put the failures on my website. Step up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, and and I had I had some some donor funding for that. And I remember the day very clearly when they were telling me like, no, this, this 
isn't working. Ashley, you have zero stories on this. This experiment failed. Ironically, the site about failure failed. You need to do something else. And I'm supposed to be great at this. You know, I'm supposed to be the one that has that healthy relationship with failure. That's what I'm trying to help people create by building this site after all. And I'm sitting there talking to the donors being like, you're wrong. Let me show you all of the reasons why this is working. And there were like a couple of indicators that it was going well, but they were right, obviously. And I just, I I don't know if it, I wouldn't call it ego so much as I loved the idea so much and I wanted it to succeed so much and, and perhaps a little bit of sunk costs fallacy too. Like I'd sunk a lot of my time and energy into to making it. And I really wanted it to work that it was really hard for me to see that it hadn't worked. And, and I had that optimism bias as well. Like I just, I thought that if we just kept at it, you know, if I just did a few different things, we might figure it out. Um, and, and ultimately it wasn't, it wasn't going to work. If you build it, they will not share your failure stories. So it just, and, and it was only through the process of accepting that, that I was able to start fail forward and, and realize what was actually needed and what I actually want to spend my time on. But, um, but it didn't happen immediately. Is there, is there such a thing as a, a, a final failure that, that we, we just, mm. it's, unre, it's unrecoverable. We're going beyond, uh, we're getting a little metaphysical, but that's oh, okay. Such a beautiful um, question. I mean, beyond the, beyond the organization, maybe it's an individual. You know, is is there such a thing on either level as the final unrecoverable failure? Um, you know, I think it's always possible that any failure will destroy us. I think it's also always possible that any failure could transform us into something uh, and wiser if we let it. I think it has less to do about the actual facts of the event and more to do with where we're at as, as human beings, you know, do we have, do we, um, do we have the resources we need uh, and the support we need to actually recover and try again? Um, Do people believe in us? Do we believe in ourselves? Do we have enough time to do that healing process and get enough distance from it that we can look objectively and learn the lessons that we need to do we have the self-awareness um to kind of ask ourselves the questions that we need to and and bring in the people we need to to be able to maximize what we can learn from it there's a lot of different pieces that have to be at work there um but even the worst failures i always um i always believe it is possible to use those moments uh to become more human the um the the metaphor I love to use is the um, Japanese art of repairing pottery with gold. I believe it's called kintsukuroi. Um, so you take these broken pieces of pottery and you 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 glue them together with gold enamel, and the pieces are just stunning. And the art form recognizes that the piece is more beautiful for having been broken. You're not hiding it. You know, you're not trying to put it back to just the way it was. Um, you know, you're saying like, I, I can be better because of this. So you don't think there is a, a final, a final failure. If, if you have the right support, confidence, resources, you know, the things that, the mm-hmm. things that you describe. All right. All right. I don't, That's I don't right. think any failure has to be final. Has I think you final. can mess right. up really, really bad and you can hurt a lot of people and, and, 
And, and then it becomes even more important that you do the near impossible work of repairing with gold. Mm. Those, you know, those resources that support even the, the confidence um, that's going to vary depending on your background. I'm, I'm thinking of women, minorities uh, who don't, uh, don't in, in, in a lot of, uh, a lot of situations have, you know, have that even the internal, the, the self-confidence, let alone mm-hmm. the external support and confidence resources that um, more privileged folks do have. That's going to, that's going to affect your, your outcome from the, the same failure across all, across all folks. I know. And it is a, whew. Ah, just in <laughs> the injustice piled on the injustice, I guess, is how I might describe that one. That um, that the the privileged and and the ones that that have all those opportunities, um, you know, it's it's easy to fail. It's easy for for us to stand up and say like, yeah, fail fast, fail often, go out, fail fast, and break things, you know. And you put that poster up on your wall yeah. uh, when that speaks to a very small sliver of the population that can actually do that with that kind of gung-ho, rah-rah, Silicon Valley um, pizzazz um, is because, you know, they, they have endless resources and, and, uh, and, a, and a culture that supports folks to try, try again. Um, and I think, uh, I think what's really needed across um across those boundaries uh, like uh, you know for 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 all of us um to offer each other grace in times of failure mm. that you know we all need that time and we're all capable and and it's always possible to um to move forward more wisely so how do we give each other that grace of the second chance um would be, uh, would be my invitation and not just to the, to the, uh, the privileged few, but to everyone. Hmm. Uh, interesting. Our, our conversation has taken a, a different turn for half an hour or so, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, uh, I only got to the first I, step around the loop and the exits. My goodness. You did. I know. Well, you, you, <laughs> you're, you're suffering a lackluster host. You know, I, 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 I digress and you no, know, et cetera, but uh no, I think very, very informative, introspective. You know, I appreciate your sharing. Your, your own, not your own, not only your own stories, but uh, your thoughts. It's time for Tony's take two. I wish for you easy, comfortable donor relationships. What am I talking about? The kinds of relationships where you can pick up the phone. And the person's going to take your call, or if you leave a message. You're very, very confident. There's no question they're going to call you back. The kinds of relationships where you can write a a, a quick handwritten note. It doesn't have to be a formal letter, eight and a half by 11 word document. The kinds of relationships where there's trust. There's, and these relationships are fun, right? Those are the kinds of relationships I hope you have with your donors. Well, Planned giving donors or otherwise. 
Doesn't make a difference. Um, I posted about this on LinkedIn and Kirsten Hill suggested the word authentic to describe these relationships. Absolutely. Uh, Joanna Brody also commented and reminded me that these kinds of relationships ease tension. Joanna, absolutely right. So that if there is ever conflict, hopefully there isn't, but you know, things happen uh, on both sides. If there is ever conflict, it's so much easier to resolve when you've got these comfortable, authentic donor relationships. These are the kinds of relationships I hope you're striving for and I hope you're enjoying with your donors. That is Tony's take two. We've got buku, but loads more time for improve your relationship with failure with Ashley Good. See, relationships again. The relationships are ubiquitous. Let's talk more on, uh, on an organizational level. What, <laughs> what, what kind of culture, um, what can a CEO do? What can a, a supervisor mm-hmm. of others who's not necessarily the CEO do to, to foster this um, intelligent failing? Hmm. What do we need to encourage others to think about? To, what do we need to do for ourselves? I guess acknowledging our own failures when they, when they occur. Setting the example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there's many ways I could answer that question. I think there's an there's an individual because organizations are made up of individuals. There's something that every one of us as individuals can do, and leaders, most importantly, must do if they want to see a healthy relationship with failure thrive. Uh, so there's the individual actions. There's also kind of the organizational structures. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna touch on the individual side f- first. Um, and that's simply, I, I, you, I, I love to talk about four mindsets or like our ground rules that I often set when I'm facilitating groups. Um, so those ground rules are blamelessness, humility, empathy, and curiosity. So the blamelessness is recognizing that everyone makes, no one shows up to work hoping to mess up. <laughs> You know, we're all trying to do the best job possible. So blame really doesn't make sense. You know, what you really want to be doing is figuring out how exceptional, talented, hardworking, intelligent people made the wrong call. And, and we ended up with a result that was that was undesirable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how did we arrive at that conclusion? What what information was missing? How, you know, is our process flawed? What, how, so how did that happen? Never who, who doesn't matter? Um, because everyone's trying their best. We want to know how our great people, um, uh, it, you know, got to the wrong answer. All right. So uh, b- before we sorry, move to the empathy, well, uh, mm-hmm. we, we can, we can avoid the, the finger pointing. I mean, may, like maybe oh. we do that, maybe that we do that behind closed doors, but, you know, uh, <sighs> to try to improve, but, but there's not, there's not a lot of value in, uh, you know, who, who, who just, caused, who caused it. Like It's it could not be, only that there's no value in it. It's completely counterproductive that okay. that blaming someone has the exact opposite impact that you want it to. So it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Maybe they deserved to be finger pointed. Who cares? Because by pointing fingers at them, you are guaranteeing that they show up 
even more defensive yeah because they know that you're blaming them and therefore the more defensive they are the less likely they're ever going to be to learn from that experience because you never learn if you're stuck in that defensive position because you're just there protecting yourself protecting your job not, your ego whatever it's not only them everyone around them will see see the see the blame yeah. see the injury that it causes to the blamed person or, or people and and react the way you're describing yeah. so it's Can't, legitimate to be angry and upset that somebody did the wrong thing i get that so but deal with that within yourself before having the conversation with them if you want to maximize what you can learn and move forward more wisely i'm not saying it's easy it's almost impossible <laughs> like yeah. so much of this <laughs> but but that's right. the goal <laughs> all right maybe it's it's easier than almost impossible it's okay <laughs> depends it's, on it depends on the situation <laughs> it's reasonably likely that you can do this if with some with some uh some of your own introspection uh, yeah uh, and it takes a okay. lot of self-awareness yeah but yeah okay. that's blamelessness right yes. recognizing that no matter how bad the decision the chances are that person did it with good intentions um the uh so the second one humility um you know so often we we want to blame as opposed to looking at ourselves as as i often say in groups you know even if the failure was 99 percent not your fault What's the 1% of things you could have done differently? What's the 1% you did contribute or did, what didn't you do that you might have? You know, really looking for your, your own role and trying to see and, and own whatever piece you can. Um, the, the empathy piece, I use the word empathy almost to get folks out of that tendency to judge. Obviously, those judgmental thoughts are always there, especially in times of failure when emotions are high. Um, and often the consequences are high, but really trying to get ourselves out of that tendency to judge and move into a stance of empathy, recognizing that, um, you know, really putting yourselves in their shoes, you know, that you can see how they could have arrived at that conclusion or that decision, right? I understand they might've had this lens, you know, really trying to understand where they might be coming from. So even if you don't agree, you can at least empathize with with their position and then finally probably the most important one. Oh, sorry, this, is the second, this is the second time we've talked about empathy mm, it's important one there's a lot of this <laughs> there's a lot of that in this work yeah uh, because we're talking because what we're talking about is failure you if if you if you're not going to have empathy for you know earlier we were talking about the people who are mistreated mm-hmm. lied to deceived you know whatever by errors of omission or um you know but now we're talking about empathy for the folks who contributed even 1% to the failure. Yeah. Often I hear when I'm facilitating in teams, you know, staff want to blame their boss. You didn't set me up for success or the executive didn't do this or the donor didn't do this or, or whatever it is. Um, And it's, and it's stepping back from that, that your judgments may be true, but it doesn't matter. Can you understand where they're coming from so that you can have a conversation with them about how you do better going forward? That's the whole goal, right? The goal is learning, moving forward more wisely. Um, anyway, the last of the four values uh, or, or mindsets um, is uh, is curiosity, and this is the one that I probably spend the most time on, only because I think it's we're so we're such great problem solvers, especially in times of failure. We just want to you know identify the problem, we want to fix it, and often what folks need much much more than problem solving because if it was easy to solve, they would have already done it. Is the curiosity you know, trying to, trying to help others deepen their learning around what, uh, around the experience and ask the curious questions to help understand their perspective. So you can get at that richer learning to allow yourselves to move forward more wisely. 
Um, so those are those are the four mindsets that ideally, like I said, leaders exemplify. They share their own failures. They, you know, with that humility and that blamelessness, they get curious when other failures happen, um, and they empathize. You know, when their when their folks maybe don't, you know, implement their ideas as well as they could, but they're uh, they empathize with them and and ask how they can do better. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so that's the that's the individual side, or basically those four. You do those four, you're you're golden, right? <laughs> you might not even need the organizational side, but the reality is, each individual. You know, it's, it's a lot to put on an individual to ask them to show up with those four mindsets all the time. Um, that And that our organizational structures often make that very difficult. So how do we shape our organizations so that that's the norm is basically the question that I often ask um, executive teams because they're in the position to start to shape recruitment systems and training systems and performance appraisal systems and, um, you know, the way stories are told and what stories get told and how people do after action reviews and do we create enough time and resources for those. And basically my whole job on the organizational structure side is to make sure we're not expecting X, but rewarding for Y, as in like, we're expecting a healthy relationship with failure and people to own their failures and work together to have these conversations, but we reward people who defend themselves and throw other people under the bus and, um, and prove that it wasn't their fault. You know, we're trying to avoid that, uh, that folly. Many years ago, uh, when I was in the first year of the, the podcast, which is 10, this is our, this is our 10th year. So oh, this is our 12th year. This is, part, this is our 12th year, 2010. Um, I had someone on from the New York Times, uh, Stephanie Strom, back when there was such a thing called the nonprofit beat in, in a, in a you know, world leader newspaper. Uh, that doesn't exist anymore. But she covered something that the World Bank ran called Failure Fair. Mm, yeah, and of course. Fair, fair had an E at the end, F-A-I-R-E. Um, mm. And they were... Um, uh, for listeners, this was the August 27th, 2010 show. Um, the World Bank was highlighting failures. It was failure fair. Be out, be open. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, 12 years ago, that, that wasn't such a, there wasn't, we were in the dark ages, I'd say, of, uh, of, of intelligent failure. Maybe failing intelligently probably didn't, maybe not even, even existed as a phrase, but um it was it was the dark ages in any case, um, so I, I, I don't I don't know if the World Bank continues that or did it again, but they did it in 2010. And for such a high profile organization, international organization, to do that, uh, I mm. thought was exemplary. You know, it, it merited coverage. The New York Times felt felt that. So uh, of course, the New York Times follows nonprofit radio. Uh, that's how they get their ideas for for show for articles is by listening to nonprofit radio. <laughs> Naturally. Um, Anyway, just a, a shout out to the World Bank. And I don't know if you'd ever heard of Failure Fair. Yeah, um, I, I, I spoke at one. Um, I hosted the, oh. uh, if you excuse my language, the uh, Fuck Up Nights in Toronto for a while. Yeah. Um, fuck Up What? Nights? Fuck Up Nights. Yeah, nights. they are. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily in the nonprofit world, um, but it's uh, largely entrepreneurs that get together. And it's kind of a, a very authentic networking experience. Uh, pre-COVID, obviously, but um, very good. Yeah, very a chance good. to come together and share share failures. Where where um, was that? 
Was that in Canada? It- they are in hundreds of cities all over the world now. Oh. Started by Leticia Gasca uh, out of Mexico City and spread across the world. I, I'm a real, I mean, obviously I hosted one. I'm a real fan of these events for many reasons. I think the best thing that they do is destigmatize failure. They bring, you know, all these, all these earnest folks together and they have a couple of great speakers lined up to share their failures honestly and openly. And you just have this experience in the audience of watching these people share. And you're like, oh my gosh, like that's a really bad failure. And they're still standing. <laughs> you really, and, you, 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 really know, you really messed really, up. <laughs> really fucked up. Yeah, you. I remember one one guy in the right place. Of a session I was hosting. It was like millions and millions and millions of dollars, and I was like, "Who? I'm I'm getting nervous as your host." Yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, I, and you and you see and you see that they that they live through it and that they are stronger because of it. Like you and you watch them, and and you know no one's throwing tomatoes at them. You know, they, they really are the strong, wise leaders at the front of the room still. And so there's this real destigmatization that happens. It allows everyone in the audience to kind of put down their usual masks that you wear when you're at networking events and actually show up a little bit more, um, more human, as I've said a number of times in this interview. Um, So I love them from that perspective. I think the danger in them is that we assume that if we share those failures, no one else is going to make that mistake. Like that's how we're going to learn. And I would say they're not a very good learning tool because it's so rare that someone in the audience is in exactly the same position and needs to learn that exact same lesson. So I think it's great from a cultural perspective. Um, and 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 I'd say the other risk in them that I I feel really uncomfortable with in the not-for-profit world is the celebrating failure because those failures have real consequences on people's livelihoods. So when you have an event and you're making light of them, I, it just, it doesn't sit well with me. I'm all for destigmatizing failure and a healthy relationship with failure, but I can't get behind celebrating it because, you know, you're talking about people's livelihoods. Um, I'm more. And maybe people who are impacted in other ways by, by the failure, you know, yeah. if the if the project or program didn't go well because we didn't understand the culture in in uh, Eritrea, then then those people of you know there may be relationships damaged there, that where we where we came with good intentions, but uh, you know, but messed up people's lives on the ground somewhere too. Yeah. And to me that, I mean, that is not to be celebrated, right? That is like, I have a moral obligation to maximize what I learn from this experience. Like I'm, I'm allowed to get it wrong. I'm I'm not, I don't have to be perfect, but if I do get it wrong, it, it is my responsibility to learn what I can from that and share that. And I think that's more, if we can come at it from that tone, it speaks a little bit more to me than I think some of these events got a little too, um, celebratory celebratory yeah yeah okay yeah. not to say that the fuck up nights aren't fun they are fun the acronym is fun <laughs> but uh, you know it's it's from a place of um of recognizing how important it is that we learn from those wasn't that uh, the premise for your database was that nobody would make these mistakes again was that that, that your, was the plan <laughs> i was wrong <laughs> Yeah, I know. I am uh, happy right. we to got say. that. I'm not playing. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Things, uh, are, things are pouring salt in the wound. Jeez. I'm not blaming. Right. I'm not blaming. I'm, I'm trying to. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to be empathetic. Uh, but um, that was one of your objectives was to prevent these from happening again. But right. I mean, the the 
the likelihood of someone being in the same circumstance, you know, a similar program, similar yeah. set of facts, very unlikely. And reading that particular story on that web particular website that they may or may not know about is uh, is pretty unlikely. Right, that too. Yes, they've got to, <laughs> they've got to go to the website and, and, and read it. Yes. Um, yeah, made a few mistakes in my assumptions around that project. <laughs> what about uh, a, a story, um, a case, uh, anonymized or not? I don't, you know, where uh, an organization turned around its uh, its its thinking and maybe maybe, mm-hmm. maybe didn't necessarily fail a second time more more intelligently, but you know, where you you saw you saw a change in an in an organ at an organizational level that was that was going to make it more likely that in the future they would fail intelligently. Mm. You know, it's funny. I often get asked for organizational examples. Like who do we look to, to really, um, you know, be a role model for this. And I shy away from it mostly because it's not an arrival. Like it's not, you know, I have figured this out. I now have the perfect organizational structure and our leadership is exemplifying these things. And we have like gold, gold star certification. We are an intelligent failure organization. It, it just, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years. I've worked with some incredible organizations, incredible leaders. Um, and it's, there is no end point in this. It's a journey, I, I, it's a, it's a journey then, not a, not a... And maybe I'll talk about it individually. That's probably a, a little bit easier. Not, not it's a destination. Like, I've been trying to promote a healthy relationship with failure for over a decade, and I still struggle with my own failures, and I still respond badly sometimes. You know, I'm aware of it often, or probably, hopefully, I can recognize it in myself a little faster than most people do, but I still suck at it. So for me, it is not about, like, this organization has totally figured it out. It's how do we see this as a practice, um, kind of like staying in shape, I guess, you know, that we're, we're, we're going to the gym and we're lifting those heavy weights because we know that we have to keep doing that if we want to keep our muscle mass. Like, I think the same thing is true with, um, with a healthy relationship with failure. We want to keep pushing ourselves, keep taking those risks and seeing ourselves fall down and write, I know what I'm supposed to do when I do this. I'm supposed to own it. And I'm bringing together the people that were involved to analyze it. And that's really uncomfortable. And I don't want to have that conversation, but I'm going to, and I'm going to try to change my behavior. And I'm going to ask for people to tell me when I make that mistake again. Um, and I'm going to continue to push myself. And that's, that's kind of the, the forever cycle. There isn't necessarily an arriving. Um, and I think there's a lot of, a lot of groups that I've worked with that have taken, you know, three steps forward, two steps back, you know, another step or two, four, you know, it gets, uh, it, it's hard to keep up. Um, it's hard. It, there, there is no example is basically my long-winded way of saying that, that, but there are a lot of incredible organizations who are doing incredible things with incredible leadership, um, really striving to make what is not instinctive work. Um, yes. Counterintuitive, not right. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a journey. It's a practice. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. You told an interesting story on in another conversation with someone about um, one step forward, two steps back. Um, a uh, an explorer in, in mm. the in the North Pole. Uh, I th- 
I thought that was an, a poignant story. Can you, Ab- you share absolutely that? Can you share that one? You know what I'm talking yeah, about. I do, I do, and you know what? His name is totally escaping me. So please go back in your show notes and like reference the name. I'll look it up after the interview. All right. All right. Um, but it, it was a uh, an explorer who uh, an Arctic explorer. So on the Arctic ice sheets, um, oh, and the North right. Pole has no no landmass, right? It's just ice sheets that are constantly, constantly moving around. He's trying to make it to the North pole and, you know, he'd walk and walk for hours and hours. And at the end of, um, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours of walking, he'd have to set up camp and rest because, you know, he's still human. And he'd set his GPS and he'd wake up in the morning and would often find out that he had floated back and undid all of the work that he'd done the days before trying to make that progress. And he would still have to pack up his, camp and keep marching towards that North pole and how, um, Oh gosh, you can only imagine how that would feel like the, the futility of it, the, the powerlessness in that moment of changing the directions of the ocean currents underneath you that are moving you further away from your definition. I think it's such a beautiful metaphor for what we often experience in our work. You know, we work so hard and toil and just the, the forces of the ocean can pull us away from that goal. And, um, and he had some great wisdom to share. And again, I apologize for not remembering his name, but it was basically he'd wake up. And, and even with that information that he had just been moved far further away from his goal while he slept, um, he'd set his sight on one ice mount, you know, whatever it was, 50 feet away and say, you know what, if I make it there today, that's success. And that's, that's what he needed to pack up his gear, put back on his skis and, and keep going. And he'd get to that ice mount and say, okay, if I make it to that ice mount, <laughs> today is a success. And, um, and little by little, those little, those little, those days, those little goals, you know, eventually um, I reach that North Pole goal. Mm. Ashley Good, founder of Fail Forward. The company is at failforward.org and at failforward. Ashley, thank you very much. Very stimulating, interesting conversation. Thanks. Thanks so much for sharing. (laughs) My pleasure. Next week, talk about humility. I'm working on it. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you. Find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications. PR and content for nonprofits, your story is their mission. Turn hyphen to.co. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. (laughs) 